In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm Father Ben. I'm one of the priests here at the table. And uh, I'm tired. I don't know if you guys can relate. Um, but it is hard, I think, I was thinking about this this week. It was har- it's hard for us to fully comprehend and realize and, and take in how much this long, slow trauma of living through a pandemic, how it's affecting us, how it's affecting our relationships, how it's affecting our community, how it's affecting our mental health. Um, I find myself feeling fatigued much quicker after normal stuff. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. Um, I feel also exhausted by stories I hear of abuse and exploitation and just plain meanness. People are at the end of their rope and taking it out on each other. I have a friend uh, who this week was uh, misunderstood and cruelly maligned online. Many of you I know are struggling with jobs that suck the life out of you every week. Relational conflict that seems unredeemable. Sickness that keeps hobbling your capacity to enjoy life or staff children's ministry. Um, And it seems that loneliness, depression, and anxiety have become constant companions for many of us. Life is full of desperate needs and overwhelming problems. And (laughs) I know that's kind of a bummer way to start. But it's true, friends. Uh, It's true. And I, I think it's the what we need to get in touch with if we're going to hear good news today. We need to get in touch with what overwhelming problem or desperate need are you sensing most strongly today? It could be yours. It could be someone you love. Where are you feeling a lack of security and belonging and significance in your life right now? It's important to get in touch with that because our good news speaks directly to those spaces that I think we see here in especially our gospel reading and our Old Testament reading, which is this, be strong and do not fear, beloved. The healing justice of God is flowing here and now straight into our desperate needs and overwhelming problems. It's a raging torrent of love that can't help itself from responding to our cries for mercy. This is the God that Jesus reveals, the God who is present among us and working. This is the God who is coming to save us. The passage we read from Mark's gospel today, it ends with the crowds sort of uh, fainting with joy almost, just falling all over themselves, trying to acclaim this Jesus and what he has been doing. Through his teaching and the signs and wonders that he's performing, he's opening up this renewed expectation of God's kingdom coming, arriving in their midst. He's cast, he casts out in this story um, a, an evil spirit from a little girl without even being there in person, which is a great COVID miracle, right? You don't even have to go into the house. You just heal from a distance. Uh, he heals a deaf and mute man. Jesus is opposing and conquering everything that destroys and corrupts life, And the text says they were astonished beyond all measure. He has done everything well, they exclaimed. But did you wonder when you heard that first story, what in the world's going on with Jesus responding to the woman that way? I do. I did. Why does Jesus initially refuse to help this woman and compares her to a pet dog who has to wait to eat? His reply to her sounds harsh and insensitive to our modern ears. Could Jesus be guilty of the partiality 
that the Apostle James condemns in the New Testament passage that we read today? Context is Jesus is heading north for some vacation time. He doesn't want anyone to know he's there. He's turned off his phone. He's not checking email. He needs a rest. Plus, he's turned up the heat a little bit in Galilee. He's getting into fights and conflict with the Pharisees. He's got a mission, and he knows what he needs to be about, and he knows he needs to lay low for a little while. So he goes north up to the region of Tyre. But it didn't work. His laying low plan, his plan to be on vacation, it didn't work. A Gentile mother finds out that he is in her neighborhood and seeks him out because she has a desperate need. Her little daughter has an evil spirit, and she begs Jesus to cast it out of her. We know from other stories of parents begging Jesus to heal their children that um, a little kid with an evil spirit is no uh, little thing. There's another passage that says that it casts them into the fire. It's trying to kill them constantly. I can just imagine the vigilance necessary as a parent to keep track of trying to keep your kids safe when there's something inside of your kid that's trying to kill them. So she's like, I don't care if you're on vacation. (laughs) I'm coming to see if you'll heal my daughter. I can't believe you're in the area. The text mentions she's a Gentile. And then it says that Jesus refuses her request and says, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair, it's not good to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now this week, I've read a lot of explanations for Jesus' seemingly harsh words here. And I won't get into them all because all of them are speculative. Some of them are super interesting. So if you want to nerd out with me later this week, I will share all of these with you. They're interesting. Uh, But they're all speculative, and so I don't think we can proclaim good news from this text to our community based on speculation. Instead, I'll just say a couple things about this. Because it seems so out of character for Jesus, I think we can safely assume that something else is going on here besides the worst story we could tell about this, right? Something else must be going on. It's sort of like, you know, if my wife, Deb, told me, I think you're a horrible person and I hate your guts. If I thought I heard her say that, right, I wouldn't let that override 25 years of marriage and be like, well, I guess, I guess it's over. I guess we're getting a divorce, right? No, I would probably assume oh, there might be some context that I'm unaware of here. Maybe I misheard her. Maybe something else is going on here, right? So I think we can assume that about Jesus. But I also want to say this. Doesn't this sometimes feel like prayer? Isn't this sometimes what it feels like to come to God with a desperate need, to open ourselves up in vulnerability, and something we don't don't get what we expect from God? We don't get what we hoped for from God. And I feel like in this woman's experience, there is something analogous to the way that we sometimes feel our relationship to God. We feel like we're being rebuffed. We feel like we're being cast aside. We might feel like we're being insulted. (laughs) This is sometimes how prayer feels when we don't get what we expect, when we don't get what we want, we don't get what we need. It's easy to speculate about what that means, to believe whatever story first pops into our heads, to hear harsh words on the lips of God. What seems clear in Jesus' metaphor is that he's comparing this Gentile woman to a pet dog, yes, who has to wait until after the children are fed. 
And this reflects a common understanding of the time that if and when Israel is saved among the Jews, if and when Israel is saved, well, then the kingdom will extend to the Gentile world. Of course, of course it will. What else would it do? A lot of Jews believe this at the time. In a parallel passage in Matthew 15, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which is to say, yes, of course, eventually the gospel comes to the whole world, but the good news comes first to the Jew and then to the Greek, as it says in Romans 1. There's a priority here because of the covenant. And so we're Gentiles, almost all of us, and uh, I don't know of any Jewish people here, but we're Gentiles predominantly, right? And so it's actually hard for us to understand this because we think of Jesus as some sort of like universal helper guy, just walking around helping everybody. He thinks everybody should be saved. Well, of course he does. But we have a hard time understanding the priority of Israel because we haven't come into faith in the way of feeling ourselves grafted into Israel's story. So it's hard for us to get this, but Jesus' call was not just to go around being helpful to everybody. He had a very specific mission. It was to the people of Israel, a messianic vocation that he was beginning to see was leading him to the cross. He knew this. So yes, this is a gospel that comes to the whole world eventually. Eventually the Gentiles are going to be grafted into Israel's story, but first to Israel, then to the rest of the world. We see this play out in the book of Acts. This is the, the way that God is going to save the world. So the metaphor then is meant not to compare the relative worth or status of Jews and Gentiles. The metaphor is meant to indicate the priority and timing of the way that God saves the world. God, God's kingdom comes, yes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's about priority and timing. It's not about status and worth. The point is that the Gentiles will feast on the blessings of God, but they must wait their turn because Israel needs to be spoken to first. Jesus needs to speak to Israel. Jesus needs to say, the kingdom has come. You need to repent to believe, but the kingdom has come. And so Jesus is just articulating his understanding of how this is working and what needs to happen. And this would have been uncontroversial at the time. Plus, Jesus is on vacation. <laughs> trying to stay hidden. So I can almost imagine Jesus saying, like, it's not time for this right now. I have a very specific, I'm not just here to just heal everybody. I have something I'm doing, and it's not time for this. So I think this is real. I think Jesus is rejecting her request on the basis of his understanding of his own mission. He's not saying that she's not worth less, but she, he is saying that she needs to wait her turn. That's his understanding. But here's where the story gets really interesting, because the not yet becomes the now in this story because of the woman's response. The woman accepts the metaphor, okay, but argues with Jesus about its meaning. Isn't this great? It's just great. She says, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Anyone who's had a dog and a kid at the same time knows exactly what this is like, right? The dogs hang around. They, look, they very quickly learn which the most messy kid. It's like, I'm going to get the most food right here. Kids are messy. So she's actually saying, I hear you. Okay, I need to wait my turn. But actually think about your metaphor, Jesus. We don't need to wait. The dogs hang out under the table. They're eating at the same time as the kids, aren't they? They're gathering up all of those crumbs. The woman boldly subverts the original intent of Jesus' metaphor. Jesus is telling a little parable here to say, wait your turn. And she says, I don't need to. Think about your metaphor. 
She intercedes to change the mind of the Son of God. Not unlike Moses interceding on behalf of the people in Exodus 32. Not unlike Abraham interceding before God for Sodom in Genesis 18. And Jesus responds with surprise and delight, it seems, and changes his mind. Jesus changes his mind, allowing her to have the last word. Okay, for that answer, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So, of course, Jesus believed that eventually the blessings of the kingdom are going to extend to the Gentiles, but even he seems surprised that it's all happening so quickly in this passage. It's ahead of time. It's the kingdom is getting ahead of itself. Jesus is like, wow. Not even I expected this, but here's what the Spirit of God is doing. So may it be so. May it be so. The kingdom is getting ahead of itself, flooding the whole world with blessing, growing in unexpected places, surprising even the Son of God with its extravagance and its eagerness to heal and to bring justice. God's healing love seemingly can't help itself and is joyfully jumping its own banks when it encounters people crying for mercy in their time of need. Despite the fact that it's not their turn, God's healing love says, well, all right. I guess it is your turn because you have a need. And friends, it's still happening. The healing justice of God is flowing by his spirit right here and now, straight into our desperate needs and our overwhelming problems. It's a raging torrent of love that can't help itself from responding to our cries for mercy. This is the God that Jesus reveals. This is the God who is present and working among us. This is the God who is coming to save us. And this is the God that Isaiah proclaims as well, and the psalmist in our psalm that Joel uh, wrote a song based on. In the midst of the desperate needs and overwhelming problems of living in exile, Isaiah prophesies God is coming to judge those who have oppressed them, to bring them back into the land, to reestablish shalom, which means the prisoner is going to be set free. The eyes of the blind are going to be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Those who are lame can now leap. The speechless are going to sing for joy. God is bringing justice to the oppressed. He's giving food to the hungry. God is upholding those who have no one to protect them, no one to look out for them. God is refreshing those who are discouraged. Water, rivers are breaking forth in the desert. Streams coming up from the dry ground. This is what it looks like when God comes to save. So be encouraged, fearful hearts, Isaiah says. And I will say to you, be encouraged, fearful hearts. God is coming to heal and to judge. God responds to our cries for mercy and acts for the good of those who love him. So let's respond to this good news today, friends, by imitating this Gentile mother who just boldly demanded justice for her daughter. Let us bring our desperate needs toward God in prayer. Bring your terrible job. Bring your pain at being misunderstood. Bring your grief at broken relationships and rampant injustice. Bring your sickness and your loneliness and your depression and your anxiety. Bring it all. And let us open ourselves to receive the healing justice of God in the body and blood of Jesus knowing that this is a God who can be approached, a God who can be appealed to, argued with, 
This is a God who can't help but respond to our cries for mercy. So don't struggle yourself and don't give in to despair. Bring your needs to God in prayer and ask for what you want. And maybe, like the Gentile mother, we don't get the answer we expect or hope for. This often happens in prayer. And it's tempting in those moments to believe God is being capricious or petty or vindictive. Perhaps it feels like He's insulting us, making fun of us. Don't give in to that story and don't despair. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking because God is delighting to bring justice and healing to those that He loves. And even if we never get exactly what we hope for, even in the asking, there is communion. God meets us in our mess. As soon as we turn, God is there. And often simply reaching out to God, we find in those moments that God's grace is sufficient for us, despite the fact that we don't get what we want in surprising ways. We can't control that. We don't know what the outcome of those interactions is going to be with God. That's God's part. It's God's part to surprise us with whatever His grace will bring to us. It's our part to just come. Bring your need. Bring it all. Bring it all. Beloved, do not be afraid. The healing justice of God is flowing here and now straight into our desperate needs and overwhelming problems. It's a raging torrent of love that can't help itself from responding to our cries for mercy. This is the God that Jesus reveals. This is the God that is present and working among us. This is the God who is coming to save us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen.